BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest, Matthew Pope and Don Thompson. Hello. 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 Now, just for the um, for the listeners' benefit, because I'm not going to, and just so they know, we're not in the same room, and we've only just met. So, does Matthew Pope first want to give us a brief introduction as to his role on the film Blood on Her Name? Sure. Yeah, this is uh, this is Matt. I am the director and co-writer of Blood on Her Name. Okay. And I'm Don Thompson, the uh, producer and co-writer of Blood on Her Name. Brilliant, guys. Brilliant. Now, obviously, that's not a test, dear listener, but that's the two different voices you're hearing, so hopefully that helps. Um, does one of you want to give us a brief synopsis to what Blood on Her Name is about, please? Sure, yeah. Blood on Her Name's a, it's a thriller uh, about a woman who runs a, uh, a local auto garage in a rural area. Uh, the, the movie opens uh, immediately uh, in the aftermath of some sort of violent altercation that we do not see, uh, and the result is a dead body on the floor. Um, from there, Lee, the, the main character, uh, makes the decision not to dispose of the body or call 911, but to uh, return the body to the man's family. Um, and uh, as a result of her conscience uh, getting the best of her, and things spin out of control from there. Fantastic, fantastic. And uh, dear listener, it is, it is one of those films about people and murder and the people doing the murder don't usually kill people. And basically it's like, what would we do if we killed someone um, or something like that? And um, I love that kind of uh, that delve into the human psyche because it's all very easy, isn't it, to do films about bad guys and good guys. But when the line is blurred to fuck, it's, um, 
it enables us to think about it as if like what would we do yeah, that's what we loved about it starting at the beginning then like i say your your co-writers talking to me now so let's start at the beginning then um what was the sort of conceit the conception the the the, the kernel of the idea that led the pair of you to make a film called blood on her name yeah well and the the impetus for this particular film was the uh, kind of a kernel of an idea or an, uh, an image, which is more or less where the film uh, uh, started, which is like we start in the immediate aftermath of a, of a murder um, or, a, or a violent altercation, and we don't know enough about it, but normally we're, we're a movie. I think we've all seen the movies where we sort of jump back in time and, uh, and sort of see what led to that moment. We thought, well, you know, how about can we tell the story going forward and strictly going forward and sort of crafting it more as a why done it than a, than a who done it. Um, so we found that we found that to be really compelling, uh, as a start to the film. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, obviously you, you might have a bunch of ideas like that when you're tossing around different possible script ideas and it starts just as a, a pretty basic concept without a lot of meat to it. Um, and you might have a bunch of those before one of them really clicks. This one kind of clicked for us when we got to the, the idea of, you know, well, what if she can't just dispose of the body? What if her conscience won't allow her to? And I think that's where we started to really kind of get a sense of what the movie would be about and what kind of themes, uh, would be relevant and, and helped kind of put some, some, uh, flesh to it that, that felt, you know, more intriguing and, and interesting than just the the basic structural idea. Given that you uh, you you directed it, Matt, and uh, and you produced it, Don, um, you obviously survived the writing process. So, um, <laughs> in terms of a pair of your writing, how just to give the the, the 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 listener an insight into how did you co-write it? What was the what was the process for the pair of you to be co-writing it? Was it you know, writing scenes individually was one of you writing it all. Was it? Uh, how did it work yeah. between the pair? Of you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Matt and I work really well together in um, in crafting uh, the story and kind of like building in the themes and the conversations and the characters and kind of creating a really uh, broad outline. I think both of us, when it comes to actually putting scenes on paper, prefer to have a little bit of more, uh, a little more mental space. Uh, mm -hmm. to be able to do that. So we kind of divide scenes up and, uh, you know, each take a pass at the other thing and sort of form all the scenes in together, but not specifically hammering at a keyboard in the same room. Yeah. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of, you know, re-editing that, that comes in any script, but certainly when you're writing, you know, a few scripts, a few scenes, and then the other person's writing a few scenes yeah. and they're kind of bouncing back and forth. Like, inevitably that first draft has all sorts of elements that just don't align or you come up with something that's really interesting, you know, for a scene halfway through, but if it's going to work, it's going to have to be layered in earlier. So it, it definitely involves a lot of going back then and, and, you know, taking a look at what's working and, you know, swapping scenes out to, to make sure that everything has a, a similar consistent tone and flavor to it. But, uh, we do, we do all the writing pretty, um, pretty individually, you know, uh, but in parallel like that and, and then come back at the end and kind of sometimes we'll, we'll go through together on the really nitpicky stuff and, you know, working on working out dialogue and, and things like that. So it's kind of like you're, you're each other's script consultant. 
sometimes. I think. I think. I, I think sometimes uh, there's something to uh, the collaborative process is incredible, and I mean, I I love doing it uh, for for uh, making a story. But sometimes, sometimes when you're writing, you have kind of a half thought uh, that you can't really present because it it won't make a whole lot of sense, but you want to chase it. Uh, and so it's nice to have that little bit of extra freedom to chase it and see if it actually becomes something, uh, you know, and then you can toss it over and, and see if it actually works. No, I, mean, I must admit, I, I love, I love um, writing with a partner or, or like I've, I've recently I've been sort of writing directly with a director and it's, it's, a, it's quite freeing to be like, what about this, what about this, what about this? Because I know I can't do that when I'm sat on my own and only me writing it. There's no, there's no, you can't ask yourself that question and be subjective stroke objective about how you feel. Whereas if, if you're with somebody else, there's the, what do you mean? bit when it's a vague one or the subject response, <laughs> subjective response of, nah, that's not what we're doing, is it? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a trade-off, right? Like I, I think there's, there's all the obvious frustrations of having to have someone else validate your work uh, mm -hmm. at, at the end of the day. Like if you write something and, and the other person hates it, then, you know, you can't just move forward. But um, I find a lot of times what happens for me is Don will have a, a response to something that's kind of like, well, what do you mean? Or, or I don't, I don't quite see this. And some, sometimes it'll reflect a, a little bit of a, you know, a nugget of a concern that I've tried to bury, you know, something in my brain is like trying to make it work. Hmm. But another part of me that, that kind of knows it, it probably doesn't and just doesn't want to admit it. So sometimes it can be easier to have another person come in fresh and say, I, I don't really get this. And then you kind of got to go, yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right. I, I, I feel that I just didn't want to, didn't want to believe it. I thought one of the one of the clever things about about the movie from the writing point of view was the interrelationships and the interdependent relationships, I should say, plus uh, that existed, obviously, especially between father and daughter as well as mother and son. But the father daughter one was a real is a real, and I'm, I'm being vague there enough, I think, to to not really be too spoilery about saying it. But their relationship is it makes for a real sort of dramatic tension in terms of what the setup is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, that was so well realized by Will Patton and Bethany Ann Lynn. That was one of the relationships we loved seeing come together on set because we could put all the stuff on paper that we want, but it's <laughs> it's not a movie until a couple people pull it off and they, they sure did. Mm. Now, when when if you're if you're producing and, and, and Matt's directing, I'm, I'm a, I've got the right voices there, haven't I? <laughs> um, yeah. Is is how 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 easy was it for you to kind of go and and in a way there isn't there isn't ever an end to a screenplay, is there? Because it it can change with either losing days, it can change because mm -hmm. the weather changes, or you know you've, the actor might say, "I wouldn't do that." Uh, <clears throat> and things so there's a chance but, but in a sense of when you went into production and you you were as happy as you could be how, how mm -hmm. easy was it to sort of draw a line and go right let's go into production because if you're producing and Matt's and Matt's um Matt's directing that's kind of you're having to okay each other aren't you yeah well I mean I, I think one of the benefits we had going into this one for sure was we had spent so much time just uh kind of crafting the film together uh mm. in uh, beforehand, we weren't rushed out onto set uh, on this, so I think coming in, we both had a very similar sense of what 
the film should be. There'd be a handful of times on set where, you know, there might be differences and we'd shoot it both ways or there might be, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, a couple different versions floating through, but by and large, uh, it was, it was incredibly valuable to have the, um, the time in the writer's room to sort of realize it, uh, beforehand. And Matt's a, Matt's a very strong director. So most of the time we'd be sitting at a, um, at a monitor together. And if something wasn't going particularly right or needed to create, I, I could just shut up and let him do his thing. Mm. He, he knew exactly where, where it needed to go. Yeah. I'd say on the flip side, directing, you know, I, I think there's a, a benefit um, more broadly to having a creative producer that you're working with who, you know, is, is able to look at the, the story uh, from that standpoint and not just be thinking about um, logistics and dollars and all that stuff. You know, like we, we had a limited budget and so obviously we couldn't just freely go into overtime whenever we felt like it or if things happened to get a little slow, but I think the two of the things that were nice from a director's standpoint that sometimes you don't always get were having a producer there who, who understood what was important in the same way that you did. Yeah. So, you know, if I, if I knew that uh, we needed more time on something cause it was a really important moment or beat or scene and, and it was going to require, you know, getting behind where we might prefer to be in a day, um, pretty much every time Don would be on the same page going, yeah, you know, this is, we got to do it because this is going to, this is going to be important on the flip side. You know, if it was a smaller moment and we tend to have those similar ideas like, Hey, this isn't, this isn't worth it. Let's move on. And then secondly, just having somebody else who you worked through every detail of the script with you, you, you know, if there is a note, you know, if you come back from giving some direction to an actor and you've done a few takes and suddenly get a tap on the shoulder, like, Hey, you know, I'm feeling that I'm feeling like we maybe not, aren't getting this moment exactly the way that we had intended. Um, you, you kind of have a sense that you're both trying to make the same movie. Mm. So you're, you're easier to take, uh, to, to pay attention to it and to, sit back and give it a second and, and try to figure out what's going on rather than, you know, you got a, a random producer there who, you know, has opinions. Sometimes it's not the, the most enjoyable thing in the world. world. <laughs> yeah. We, it, on top of that, we'd had most of our knockdown drag out, punch each other fights in the writer's realm. So by the time we got to the, the set, we were, we were okay with each other. Now um, it's, it's, it's sort of, it, it's class. I guess it's class. You classify the film as Southern Gothic. Um, and and that that conjures up a certain thing. I mean, as someone from from Britain, it's sort of like for me, it's 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 kind of it's a it's like the look under the, the Southern Gothic always feels like the look under the hood of America, you know. Whereas like we see like the surface of it when we look at New York or L.A. Um, but culturally speaking, how how does Southern Gothic translate to your kind of urban American audiences looking at Southern Gothic? Do they do they see a kind of alien? version of their country or is is it does it is it cheek by jowl i mean obviously you're in atlanta so that's georgia a southern state isn't it it is yeah it's in georgia it's in the southeast uh and and you know we're we're outside of atlanta where we shot this so mm. it's a fairly rural area um i think there's enough of an existing thread of of literature and film and art that sort of trades in those southern gothic kind of themes that mm. um 
it, it's not a it's not a hugely popular you know in terms of just uh, mass audience kind of a thing. It, it's not the um, it's not the thing that you see every weekend at the movies. But at mm. the same time, um, it's not foreign to people. You know, it's a it, it's a part of America and it's, it's themes that are, I think, resonant in some ways. Like we recently, someone compared the film, uh, with the writings of like Flannery O'Connor. I don't know if you're familiar with Flannery O'Connor, but I'm not, no. Southern writer who, who, you know, very influential in the Southern Gothic kind of space. And, um, generally just any, anytime you're dealing kind of in those themes of, of sin and redemption and guilt and absolution and, you know, um, kind of pair that with a certain aesthetic and, and you kind of get labeled as, as that Southern Gothic, uh, kind of flavor. What is it synonymous with the region and this kind of storytelling? What is it, is it, is it the kind of, I guess, I guess the sparsity of the place, you know, the, the underpopulation of places, is that what it is? The time and space everyone has and it's sort of the devil makes work for idle hands and stuff. I think there, I think there's some some element of the uh, like Matt was uh, talking about. There's there's always some element of heightened morality. There's some some type of black and white in it, and we we often uh, bring in shades of gray uh, into our story. But a lot of a lot of Southern Gothic uh, writing comes out of this kind of um, this heightened Christianity of the of the um, uh, of the American South. Yeah, because because it's not just about there being rural, is it? Because there's no there's no equivalent of the kind of mid and western flyover states, is there? There's nothing. There's not nearly the equivalent. No, not in the not in the Midwest. You know, uh, like Southern Gothic in in one sense could probably be kind of the region's version of a western. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, sometimes similar, you know, good and bad themes and, and guilt and redemption and all that. Obviously, you know, not an exact parallel, but from a regional standpoint, it, it may be the closest analog. So thinking about the shoot then, when you were looking at what was on the page and what you had to get in the camera, what for you were some of the, you know, and you mentioned already that resources are finite, which is, you know, that's the that's the rule of any film, even even the even the two hundred million dollar ones still only have two hundred million dollars. So in terms of the challenges of what you needed to get in the camera, what what were what was what was looking on the page thinking we've got like we've got to get this, but this is a big challenge in terms of what we've got to hand in terms of money and human resource. Uh, so on on the one hand, um, I mean we had to get everything. <laughs> we had an eighty-four page script and it turned into an eighty-three page movie. So. There, there wasn't a lot of fat. We had done a pretty thorough job in the in the writing phase of really trying to trying to trim out any of the fat. But I think the thing that I walked into the production um, just trying to keep uh, front of mind was that this was Lee's story. Mm. This is you know this is all all going to live or die based on that performance and that character. So you know whether it was in the shot design or or the direction or anything else that happened during production, like we we always were were trying to make sure that we remembered you know what what the core of the story was and and kind of what was going to be most important in its effectiveness, and that was always going to be the the character of Lee and you know having Bethany uh, you know in that role who who we had worked with before and and. I directed before that that's that was a huge um confidence boost just knowing what she brought to the table and that we could 
kind of rely on her for things that that we might be scared to to write into a script, you know, with a an actor that we weren't as familiar with. But um, but that for me was a, a really big part of it. Just keep keep the camera trained on Lee and and make sure we're we're treating it like her story. And what just just for for illustration, what would be an example where you were more comfortable going that bit further than you might not have been with a with an actor you've not had the experience of directing before? Um, you know, there, there's very little exposition outside of a few choice scenes in the film. Um, mm. You know, like we, we said it's a why done it. Um, but then we put the character into a situation where she really didn't have much of an opportunity to talk to people, at least who she's being honest with, to explain why. And so a lot of that, the way that we ended up writing it was that it would just sort of play out in in on her face and in some of her you know reactions and the way that she responds to certain things and you know with with a, a an actor that we felt less confident in I think we would have probably felt some pressure to externalize some of that a bit more um, but you know I, I don't think uh, I don't think we needed to with Bethany and I, and I think you know she pulled it off, uh, you know, just as we had expected. Yeah, I remember, I remember watching a Q&A with Dexter Fletcher talking about one of his films, and he was, he was working with Peter Mullen. I don't know if you know Peter Mullen or Dexter Fletcher. Oh, yeah. No, he's fantastic. Yeah, so Dexter, Dexter was sat... He, he, went in a, he went into a meeting, I think it was, with, with Peter Mullen, and, and, he, and he looked at the script, and, he, and he, does, he had a red pen, he went... He put a line through one page, he went, I'll do that with a look. And then he went... Through another line through is I'll do that with a look, and by the end of it, it was just I'll do it all with a look. It was like he didn't he needed about three lines, and it was that kind of. And I think it's right. It's 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 the best kind of films because that's what I think that's what cinema does best is it makes the audience do some of the work, but at the same time, the actor is giving us the information we need to know, even if they're not saying it. No, that's and and that's absolutely when we were going through some of the editing process. We hate exposition; it's just a taste thing. I mean, a lot of people don't like it; it takes you out of the film. But we we tried to be as ruthless as we could, pulling that stuff out because we knew Bethany could pull it off. Mm. So, it, and it, it makes it all the more powerful. I mean, sometimes there's there's scenes, and I won't get into spoilers because I know most of your listeners haven't uh, seen the film. But there's there's scenes in there where big information will just sort of slip out about in a natural feeling conversation. And if, if we didn't have the confidence that the scene would run really well with Bethany, I don't, I don't think we would have played it as naturally as, um, as we often chose to. Now you've, you've mentioned Beth, Bethany's uh, sort of um, playing off of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, of, um, of Will Patton is, is equal is equally as important as uh, Bethany's playing off Jared. Is it Ivers? Yeah, Ivers. Yeah, Ivers. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jared, Jared Ivers, who who plays her son. Um, what what was the what was the conversation between you about about sort of what? Because because he, he he's kind of a kid that's sort of I guess mature for his years, isn't he? For want of a better expression. Sure. Yeah. And um and sure. so so in that sense, what was what was um. In a sense, he's, he's he, he he pushes his mother as as a son might not do. He's not he's not like waiting to be told what to do. He's he's obviously his character is quite responsible. So how was that sort of handled in terms of the the sort of direction there? Well, you know, that character uh, is at that age where he's kind of on the cusp of becoming his own man, 
and and I think it's an interesting time, um, you know, to to be sort of finding your way out from under under your mother's wing, so to mm. speak. Especially, you know, in a story like this, it's a single mother and fathers in prison. So, uh, you know, there, there's a I think a desire there for the character to um, to take on more, you know, autonomy and and to stand up and and even in some ways try to you know protect be the protector in the family. Um, at the same time, um, you know, Lee uh, is concerned that he he do that in in a way that you know is appropriate and and there are a lot of negative influences around and things that, you know, she, she has concerns that he could go down a path that, you know, she would prefer you not go down. And so I think that provides just a nice, interesting tension of, you know, her, her needing to try to allow him to do that, but also, um, having that protective instinct. And, and, uh, so it's kind of just an interesting thing to, to look at. Yeah. I think we tried to put him into a kind of a pivotal window uh, for in, in terms of age, like Matt's saying, right on that cusp of manhood where you could, like, you really could go any direction. And I think that really raises the stakes for Lee. Um, and she's, she's very cognizant throughout the film of uh, this, this could go badly quickly. Yeah. There's, there's, there's always a sense that she kind of knows that he's, he's, he's kind of golden in terms of keeping any secret she wants, but also he's a child and under scrutiny he's going to tell everything that she doesn't want anyone to tell. Um, and that always feels like a nice tension that she's, she's having to, you know, in dramatic senses, obviously not in terms of the, the horribleness of what, what's going on in, in the story, but yeah, it's a real, um, sure. Now given, given, given we talked just before about the sort of, the, the sort of tradition of Southern Gothic and, you know, there's, there's, there's a certainly tradition in cinema. Um, what what was your um what was your conversations like with Matthew Rogers from a cinematography point of view, as to the kind of look and feel that you were uh, hoping to achieve with this? I mean, obviously you're in. You say you shot it not far Atlanta. You, I, I'm guessing as we're talking, Atlanta. This is your home base, I guess. Um, it is. It is for me. And and Don uh, Don moved to the area for a while as we were writing and then and then shooting. Um, okay, so you uh, so given it's your local area, then what was what was your kind of what what kind of look and feel? We you know there's there's the tradition of Southern Gothic in TV and film, but then there's obviously your bird's eye view of being there and knowing it and wanting to portray it maybe in a way that is truer to you or not. I don't know. What was what was your conversations like with Matthew Rogers? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say uh, just at the front, I mean, Southern Gothic is um, not a, a filter we were actively using. Mm -hmm. I mean, and not that there was really an alternative. We, I, I don't really approach the, the visuals or, or direction in that way. I wasn't, wasn't going for an homage, you know, type of thing. It was, it was very much like all of those conversations for us tend to re revolve around the characters. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think, um, I think talking with, uh, with Matthew Rogers, the DP, um, it was that same thing. Like, let's, let's talk about whose story this is. It's Lee's story. Let's talk about the themes. Um, wh what does that lend itself to in terms of the look and feel and the shot design? Uh, and, and certainly even going back to the script stage, you know, choosing when things are happening and what's at night and, and all of it, you yeah. know, hopefully works together. But for the, 
for the uh, the cinematography, you know, one of the one of the choices we made was uh, just to try to kind of enhance that feeling of naturalism uh, and do as much as we could to to light and shoot in a way that didn't draw attention to itself. Um, we wanted everything to feel as practical as possible. Um, partially, that gave us a, a nice um, benefit of not trying to bite off more than we could chew on our budget, you know, and, oh, yeah. and end up with a half realized look. But partially it was just a, a sense that like even little choices, you know, if we're shooting out in the woods at night, let's not try to simulate some sort of, you know, uh, overall moonlight movie look. Let's, you know, let's turn the headlights on the car, let them, you know, bounce off some trees and shoot the scene in silhouette. And it, I think, you know, if it works, it hopefully gives the the viewer even a subconscious sort of sense that this just has a, a natural feel and a rawness to it rather mm. than a, a movie feel. So those were the kinds of conversations we had uh, and the types of films we were looking at, you know, examples of things that we felt did that well, um, more so than than looking at a specific, you know, kind of a genre. Like I say, I'm I'm. I'm thousands of miles away and then I have my perception, but I'm, I was just thinking in terms of you being right on the, right on top of it. It's like it, it's just the place where you live, isn't it? It's like, it's not, it's not some place that's been sort of pigeonholed as right. a, as a, as a style and stuff. And to be honest with you, yeah, I think, I think coupled with what you were saying earlier about the, the sort of the, the, the unwillingness to just be too giving with the information via Lee, that, that energy that you've got, that was to shoot as practical as you can is almost like almost like builds on the kinetic energy of Lee's journey as well. You know, it, it adds, it feels very immediate if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the, the less distance you can put between the viewer and the story, you know, in a story like this, the better different movie could use a completely different aesthetic and benefit from it. But I, I wanted to have it, you know, kind of try to erase that, screen as much as you could and and just give it a, a sense of authenticity and a, a very lived in lived in sort of a um a, a you know aesthetic yeah i mean one of the films that reminded me of was um jeremy saunier's uh blue ruin you know and that was sat in, that was shot in virginia yeah. wasn't it? good good film film we've been compared to that one probably more than uh any other film which for us is i mean uh totally uh, uh flattery we we love that film uh, it's one of our favorite sonia pieces of course yeah and, and you know when we were writing uh the thing that i think we really took inspiration from blue ruin on was kind of the unique combination of uh character piece and genre uh, yeah. there aren't a lot of other movies that do that well that that you know kind of take a, a character uh, a character piece and then sort of wrap it in genre uh, in in such a, a great way so that was that was an inspiration on that front for sure we also I mean uh, obviously Macon Blair was the the star of that show in the the same way kind of Bethany's the star of ours we we reached out to uh, the Blair brothers who composed the score to that film and they mm. actually did ours as well so there's there's a good bit of crossover between oh, the two. Oh, right, okay. No, I've not made that connection, so yeah. yeah. Will, Will and Brooke Blair are incredible composers. They're actually out of Philadelphia, uh, and we're, we're down in Atlanta, but they, they, they came on board and just knocked it out of the park. We love, we love everything they've done with it. And the soundtrack's coming out, at least in the U.S., on uh, Mondo uh, here very soon. So, 
Well, in that sense, I mean, just, just to give people uh, an idea of the process. So when, when you're bringing in Brooke and Will to do the score, h- how long into the process are you? And what's the conversation like between you as filmmakers and them as music makers? Sure, yeah. So uh, we were still writing when uh, when we reached out. I, I had been, um, you know, in my writing times just headphones in listening quite frequently to some of their soundtracks, um, you know, and, uh, really, really appreciated what they were doing. And so just had the thought like, Hey, we're probably too small a movie. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe they won't pay any attention to us cause they've done, you know, some much bigger stuff now, but I'm just going to reach out. So I, you know, found their website. Uh, they had a contact form on it and I just sent a note saying, Hey, you don't know me. Uh, but, you know, we've got this script we're writing, you know, I've been inspired by your music as we're writing and wanted to see if you'd be willing to take a look and, uh, and, you know, somewhat surprisingly got an email back saying, Hey, sounds cool. I like the pitch, send over the script. When you have a chance, we'll take a look. And from there, you know, we kind of had a conversation, uh, over a, a period of time as we continued to write and they'd say, you know, let us know as it keeps coming together. And, so um, there was a, a pretty extensive process and they were involved really early on. I think we had some sample score from them before we ever uh, got on set to shoot. Um, and it was just sort of tonal stuff, you know, uh, mm. to, to say, hey, how's this sound? And, and you know, from the from the first thing they sent us, they, they had the they had the right idea and, and we're trying to make the same movie. So and that's going to get released on Mondo, you say? Correct. Yeah, it's actually out already digitally here, but the uh, the vinyl on Mondo is, is I think, going to be available for pre-order in a couple of days, uh, at, at least here. Given you went in with, what, an 84-page script to get an 83-minute film, what was the process of the edit like for you? Was there, was there something new to discover about the story that you didn't already know, or... Had you second-guessed yourself well enough? Yeah, I think largely we, we walked out of the the, um, the production process with um, a lot of the film we thought we were making. Um, mm. You know, like it wasn't one of those ones where you get into the edit room and think, oh, my goodness, where, where have we gone? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> uh, so we, we got quite lucky in that regard. I think one of the major surprises was um, there, were, there were a couple of just like kind of mechanical issues uh, that – when we got our first cut together, we put it in front of a few uh, friends and filmmakers and realized uh, a handful of questions were coming up consistently, just questions of confusion uh, and we, that we, we didn't necessarily anticipate. So we actually we had the, the good luck of being able to reshoot just a little bit, um, add a little bit to the story. So we did 18 – was it 18 days of principal? Uh, 23. Tw- of, no, of the principal, principal before the reshoots. Yep. Okay, so we did like 23 of principal and then a handful of reshoot days to just um, kind of bolster the story and correct some of those things. And man, as as an independent filmmaker, like I cannot uh, recommend enough saving some amount of your money in reserve to shoot uh, additional photography afterwards. Cause there's just no way you're going to be able to keep track of everything. Like there's, there's something is going to slip through and surprise you in the edit. Hey, and we, we also had a, you know, we had rain on 18 of those Absolutely. 23 days, yeah. um, that we were shooting. And so for a film with a lot of exteriors and in the South here, it, uh, you get lightning when it rains. So you couldn't, 
you couldn't choose to just continue filming through it most of the time. So the, um, you know, that, that was invaluable to have that opportunity to go back and, you know, grab the stuff that maybe got missed because of, you know, weather issues and, and then kind of, you know, pull out a, a little bit of time in the process to, to address those points of confusion that had cropped up uh, in the edit. Now, uh, obviously, talking to two of you, so I'll get, I'll get two different answers. What's what's a kind of um, what's one of your favorite memories from from the shoot of the movie? Yeah, man. Well, I, we're we're still so close to the production that like the pain is still uh, <laughs> receding at this point. So, so no, it was a really great production. Uh, we we were very lucky. I think um, I think one of my principal memories uh, coming out of it was just. Uh, seeing the character realized so fully uh, for the for the first time uh, at the monitor and realizing this really could work. So you you, you can write your heart out uh, all you want. Um, and we obviously we both worked with Bethany before and we thought she's you know immensely talented and had a strong suspicion that she could pull this off. Matt even more so than me, but uh, it, because he's worked with her more closely. Um, but uh, you don't really know that it's going to happen until you see it um, and seeing, seeing the magic come from the monitor, seeing her performances and honestly seeing some of the stuff uh, when she and Will would get in the same uh, scene together, uh, I think is just, um, I think it's a, it's a very powerful thing uh, for a writer to see things come together. Yeah. I was, I was actually gonna, gonna say that, you know, when, when Will and Bethany were together, uh, the, the one scene in particular, there's a scene, um, about halfway through the film. Uh, and if you, if you watch the trailer for the film, you can see, uh, pieces of it, but where, where Richard, uh, the character of Richard that Will plays kind of confronts, uh, Lee in the, uh, auto garage. And it's, a um, it, it was, you know, kind of a key pivotal scene. We'd worked it through in the, in the script phase, you know, over and over to, to try to feel like we, we had it right. And I think seeing those two actors um, bring that scene in particular to life for me was a, a really kind of um, enjoyable experience because as a director, you know, you, you kind of just, um, you hope you, you hope your casting is right because ultimately um, you want to be able to sort of turn it over to your actors and just let them uh, bring more to it than than what you could, you know, what you could have hoped for. And seeing just the the way that they interacted together in that scene was was really enjoyable. Yeah, because there's 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 a, there's a kind of brilliant duality, isn't it, to Richard T Tiller? Because he's yeah. he's he's a father, but he's a lawman. So no matter what Lee tells him, he's having to view it in two different, by two different filters, isn't he? Yeah. And, and, you know, he's like all the characters in the, in the film. He's, you know, he's, he's got a, a real strong desire to protect the people he loves, you know, and, mm. and Lee, his daughter, that's, you know, above and beyond anything else. That's, that's his primary motivation is just to see her protected. I think I think the other thing I'd toss in there is a memorable. It wasn't from production, but it was from uh, from our premiere at uh, we, we premiered at Fantasia in Montreal. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had we ended up having two showings, as many many films do uh, in in Fantasia. And our our premiere night was fantastic. It was our world premiere, and it was sold out, and you know everybody was interested and came and. 
I think you know coming off the high of that and the nerves of that, our next our next showing was uh, uh, two days uh, two days following, and I honestly <laughs> I honestly just figured great. Well, we had a sold out show that was that was amazing. Ninety percent of the shows, the second shows for these film festivals are really lightly attended. So I'm kind of like look, there's no stakes here. We're going to go pop in. We're going to go. So we're showing up a little bit late to the theater. And I see this line. It's the theaters in kind of a, a shopping center area. And I see this line going out the door and around the corner. And honest to God, I looked at the line and I was like, what are they here for? Yeah. Like, what, is there like a shop? Thing? Is there uh, I, I honestly have no concept. And I said it to Matt. I said it yeah. out loud. I embarrassed. And I looked at Don. I embarrassed I said, myself. I said, Don. <laughs> They're here for our movie. I, I thought, and even still, I thought that can't be right. That can't be right. <laughs> You're the second filmmaker in recent in recent months for that to come up. I was talking to uh, Mark Jenkin, who made the film Bait, and um, which was I don't know if you've seen it. It's a very artful. It's 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 um, sixteen mil black and white feature film, um, mm. and it will premiere at Berlinale last in 2019, and it's. Um, he traveled by train from Britain, so over the water and then across the continent and with no expectation of anything. And he gets there and he sees he sees the queue outside the cinema and he goes up to someone and he says, he says, how many screens are there for, the, for this place? So just get a sense of, you know, what was going on. They went, one. And he was like, what, all these are for my film? <laughs> <laughs> it is It is really surreal. I mean... You you figure you're putting something together and want everybody to love it, but then, you know, when the people show up, it's it's a it's a whole different thing. And I guess I guess rewarding too. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing, yeah. one question I did forget to ask, and um, is is in terms of Lee Tiller's character being so important to the story, and given you'd worked with Bethany already, yeah. but but is. Maybe with an example, what what did what did she bring to the character that was a surprise to the pair of you that you were like, yeah, go with, run with that, Bethany, you're, you're onto something. Um, that so it maybe wasn't directly on the page, but she, it was what she did uh, with what you'd given her. So I, not to not to cheat my way out of the question, there really wasn't a lot that that she did that surprised me, um, mm -hmm. I, and that that speaks really to just the confidence I had in, in what she could offer. Um, she, she has an incredible, uh, ability to sort of bring a mixture of strength and vulnerability mm -hmm. that I think is so critical for the role. Um, th there's, uh, one thing I've was, I wasn't even on my radar and I wasn't considering even, uh, that she did surprise me with was, um, her, her vocal, range like her her actual the tenor of her voice uh that she brought to this film was different than her natural tenor not drastically but it's a it's a bit lower on the scale uh right. and she she does have you know a, a bit of a natural southern accent um which you know maybe was uh just enhanced a touch but um, I remember her coming during pre-production to something and and sort of saying, "Hey, I'm kind of I'm kind of playing around with this idea for for Lee for her, you know, just her the tone of her voice um, that feels like it adds a little bit of of a strength to it. Um, what do you think?" And she kind of you know read me some lines and and I was like, "Man, I you know hadn't even thought 
in those terms, but that's perfect. Like that, that's just an enhancement that I never would have considered that, that really, I think, you know, it was a reflection of her strongly considering the character and, and what, you know, what would make sense for that character. Mm. What, what about you, John? Um, I, I mean, honestly, uh, I, I think I'd, I'd jump on with Matt there. Uh, he's, he's directed her more closely, um, but we had a great deal of confidence walking in, and we'd actually shot a bit of a sizzle reel with her um, beforehand, so we had some kind of a window in on um, you know, where she would want to uh, take the character. I think one of the things that really surprised me, though, uh, is the amount of nuance that she was able to bring to uh, to certain moments. Like, uh, there's been uh, there's been one reviewer who uh, who called out one of my favorite moments in the in the story, and it's it's in the trailer, so it's not spoiling anything. But she says, uh, "I keep thinking I hear sirens. Is that weird?" Uh, and the way she delivers it is just so, so strong because it almost, there's, there's a tinge of it in there where you almost think it would be a relief for her to get caught, mm. uh, at that moment. And I mean, we, we'd certainly kicked around shades of that, uh, more broadly in the, in the script, but, um, the, the way she just punched it in those moments was, uh, really fun to see. And and just gives me to say thank you very much for letting us know, letting us letting us on the inside track of uh, Blood on Her Name. Thank you. So glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. Alan Parker said, "Sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning." What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com.